So we've got a great series that we're doing over the next three weeks. It's called Dead for Nothing. And it's really about what the cross did for you. What did Jesus actually die for? And I know that some of you here this morning are like, well, he died to give us salvation. And, and that's one thing that the cross did for us. But it's not everything that the cross did for us. I think one of our biggest mistakes that we make sometimes in our Christian walk or in our communication around Christianity is we talk about salvation a lot. But when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant that he finished everything. Not, not just the salvation for our sins, but he finished everything. He, he purchased healing for us by his stripes we're healed. He, he did more than just die for our sins. He died to break every single curse or every single thing that could ever be off our lives. And, and this morning, I want to, I want to tell you that one of the things, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different things, but the thing I want to talk to you about this morning is that when Jesus died on the cross as he broke the curse of poverty. He broke the curse of poverty, and poverty is not a spiritual thing. Poverty is a mindset. It's how you think. Poverty can, you can have lots of money, but still think, have a poverty mentality. But when Jesus died on the cross, he broke poverty. Poverty is not a godly thing. Poorness is not uh, something that's from God. It's something that the enemy has tried to bring upon people to try and destroy them. How do I know that? Well, good, good question. Why don't you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and I'll tell you. It says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So Jesus is saying here, the scriptures are saying here, that even though God was rich, even though Jesus was rich, he became poor so that he could break poverty off our lives so that we could become rich. Now, I know that there are lots of people that have preached on this scripture before, and they talk about this, the difference between spiritual wealth and poverty wealth. Well, that's not a correct interpretation of the scripture. In the scripture here, he's not talking about spiritual poverty or spiritual wealth. He's talking about physical poverty and physical wealth. And the Bible's very clear that when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he broke the power of poverty off our lives. He's destroyed that, and he became poor so that we may become rich. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died without one single possession to his name. He had no money. He had no clothes. Um, he went to the cross completely in complete poverty to secure, to secure the defeat of poverty so that we could be saved. Now, I know that some people have spoken about this, and maybe you've heard people talk about this as this is about spiritual poverty and that Jesus became spiritually poor so that we might become spiritually rich. I, I don't believe that at all because Jesus was anything other than spiritually poor. Jesus was not spiritually poor. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He spoke revelationary truths that nobody else had ever spoken before. Jesus was not spiritually poor in any way whatsoever. In fact, Jesus had a spiritual abundance. Jesus was not a spiritually poor person, but exactly the opposite. It was Jesus' spiritual wealth that enabled him to go to the cross and take away all the curses that afflict us. Jesus, it says, became poor so that you could become rich. And it has always been the devil's scheme to try and keep the church to believe that, that somehow being poor makes you more spiritual. 
We see that with, with some things from past history of Christianity, of the, of monks going away and just giving up everything and wearing what looks like potato sacks around everywhere. You're really quiet this morning. But there is this false thing that we've been taught in the church and Christians believe that somehow being poor makes you more spiritual. Somehow being without makes you more spiritual. And God is seen as one who would, if you have that, if you have that mentality, then what we're saying is that God is one who would rather see his people poor than to enjoy the abundance in their world. If, if being poor makes you more spiritual, then why does Jesus say in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly? If it's, if it's his plan for you to be poor, then why does he say to Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, go forth, multiply, have increase, and be fruitful if he wanted you to be poor? And if you understand any kind of biblical interpretation, you understand that the law of first mention, in other words, when something is first mentioned by God, that is the precedent for your life. And when he spoke to man and woman the first time, humankind, he said, I want you to go forth. I want you to prosper, to be fruitful, and to multiply. That is still God's plan for you today. That's why he had to go to the cross and become poor and break the power of poverty so that you could become rich. There should be some hallelujahs and amens this morning, but obviously some people want to stay poor because it has always been God's plan for you and I, for everyone to live in abundance. But breaking our poverty mindset, a, a thought process that we've always had is a very hard thing to do, yes? It's incredibly hard to do. In fact, in Colossians 2.18, it says this, don't let anyone cheat you of your reward. Taking delight and false humility in the worship of angels, such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. You know that you and I can be cheated out of a blessing because we have been taught that self-inflicted poverty, posing as spirituality, means something, but it's actually cheating you. It's cheating you out of the blessings that Christ won for you on the cross. Being poor is not spiritual. Just like being rich is not makes you more spiritual. But what Christ did for you on the cross is he said, I'm going to break the power of poverty. I'm going to become poor so that you can become rich. And God wants us to think bigger. God wants us to think bigger than you've ever thought before. God wants us to not limit him to our thinking, but rather we need to release him. We need to let God loose in our lives with the ever-creasing largeness of our thinking, dreaming of doing all these great things for God. Because if you're dreaming and thinking of doing big, huge, great things for God that is going to transform people's lives, how would God not be into that? Come on. How would he not be into that? You see, when God spoke to Israel and he said to them, I'm going to send you into the promised land, the promised land that he sent them into 
was at that time and still is today where he sent them and asked them to build mighty cities and do all that stuff. It was the greatest piece of land in the world. It was the greatest piece of farmland. It had the best climate on the face of the planet for his people. They just had to go on and take it. So he's like, man, you've, you've come out of Egypt. You've come out of slavery. And anytime Egypt is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's talking about your sinful old self. And, it, and it's trying to show you that God brings you out of Egypt, out of your sin and into the promised land, into a land of abundance where it flows with milk and honey. So God's like, man, I'm going to send you into the best part of the land, the best farms, the best land, and I want you to go in there and build cities and dominate and take over and be fruitful and increase and have an abundance. Why would God send them to a place where they could have an abundance if, if it's godly to be poor? Come on, I, I'm trying to help you this morning because some of you think that being poor is okay, that it's a God thing. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't have a lot of money that you should feel guilty about yourself because you shouldn't. But what I'm trying to say to you is that God doesn't intend you to stay there. Just like he never intended them to stay in Egypt, he doesn't intend you to stay in your place of poverty. I want to tell you this morning that God's plan for you is to take you into a place of abundance. And so he's saying to them, if you would go in there, your life is going to be amazing. So all they had to do, all they had to do was go in there. The only difficulty they had is they had to remove some giants out of the land. And if you know the story, the 10 spies came back and said, whoa, it is a land that is incredibly abundant, as you said, but there's giants there and we can't beat them because we were grasshoppers in our own eyes and we're grasshoppers in their eyes. You see, they never actually sat down with those giants in the land and interviewed them. They spied out the land. They didn't sit down with one of the giants and go, hey, if you could describe me in one word, what would that word be? And they're like, ah, oh, uh, grasshoppers. That's not what happened. They don't even know what the giants thought of them because they never spoke to them. The key in it is that we saw ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes. It was their own mindset, their own thinking, their own inability to believe that God wants them to have a life of abundance which caused them to doubt and caused them to stop going in. And here's the thing, in my life, and I'm sure in your life too, the moments that I have not gone into the promises that God has for me or the abundance that he wants for me is because I've been too scared to defeat some of my giants. Well, how could this be? How could God do, how could that happen? Because that's never happened before. And, and I, you know, I'm just not sure God works that way. Or you think that, 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 that God's not a God of abundance. He's a God that just, just gives you enough. Just enough to scrape by. And so we have these giants that we have to remove. And because they failed, to have the faith and the trust in God to step into their promised land and live a life of abundance. Instead, they spent 40 years in a place of poverty of the desert. Sometimes I think that we fail to step into the things that God has for us, abundance, because we're not prepared to take on some of the giants, and so we end up walking around in a wilderness state when really the promised land is just there if we would just trust him and walk with him. See, we're not saved to become the paupers of the earth. Jesus died to set us free from poverty. And here's the thing. 
God doesn't have a problem with wealth. In fact, some of you may have heard this before. Some of you may have not heard this before. I'm not saying that this is absolute fact, but it's an argument that some biblical theologians, which I am not, but I've read what they've said. Some biblical theologians believe that Jesus, on the day that the three wise men came to him, because when when kings would come from another country to a king and they saw Jesus as a king, that the kings would then bring gifts that were relevant to the status of the person. And so if they were bringing gifts to the status of a king, they would bring king-sized gifts. And so theologians actually believe that when the three wise men finished giving their gifts, that Jesus was a millionaire once they left. I know for some of you that's breaking your brains a little bit right now. But here's the thing. God doesn't have a problem of wealth because actually in Jesus' ministry, was provided for, everything they did was provided for by wealthy women who followed him around as he traveled. It says that in Luke 8.3, it says, Joanna, the wife of Therese, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. They provided for all of Jesus' material needs out of their wealth. Jesus doesn't have a problem with wealth. In fact, Jesus and his disciples received so much that they had to appoint a treasurer. And we know the treasurer's name, don't we? Judas. And what did Judas do? He helped himself a lot of the time, and they still had enough left over to be able to do the things that they did. So Jesus doesn't have a problem with wealth. In fact, when Solomon built the temple that God had asked him to build, the temple of Solomon was so extravagant, so outrageous that the queen of Sheba had heard how amazing it was and she traveled from another country just to come and see how great the temple was. And when she got there to see the temple, she has an encounter with God and she actually leaves with more than what she came with. She brought a gift and Solomon sent her away with more than what she came with. And that's what the church should be. The church should be the place that people hear about, that sees its generosity, sees the excellence, sees the awesomeness of what the church is. And they come in to have a look, but they always leave with more than what they came with. Because that's the God we serve. He's not a God of poverty. He's a God of generosity. He's a God of abundance. It was only the cross, it was only on the cross that Jesus became poor. He was not poor any other time because the scripture says that he became poor, nailed to the cross so that you might become rich. It's not saying that he was poor all the time. And, And I have a real problem with people that believe that Christians shouldn't prosper I think if you're here this morning and you're having a problem with what I'm saying this morning and you think that that Christians aren't meant to prosper, that that somehow you're being convinced that being poor or being in poverty is spiritual, then then I want to ask you to seriously commit to it then. If you think that being poor is spiritual, then seriously commit to being poor. Seriously commit to it. If we're not meant to prosper, then it's only logical to conclude that God wants us to be poor so that we can't succeed and can't be prosperous. Yes? That's the logical conclusion. If you believe that God wants us to be poor, then obviously we're not meant to be successful. We're not meant to be... And and, and that would mean, which is counter-contrary to everything that God has ever said, that would mean that, that God doesn't want us to do well in life that he does not want us to be blessed with good things. 
Yet the scripture teaches us over and over again, if you, being a good father, your son asks for this and you give him that, how much more would God give? It goes against scripture where it says, if you give up anything for him, be it house or be it family or be whatever, that God does not repay back to you 60, 80 or a hundredfold. If that been the case, then Deuteronomy wouldn't have in it that God has given you the power to make wealth. If it was true that God expected you to be poor, he wouldn't say that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That he wouldn't say, press down, shaking together and running out all over. That he wouldn't say that I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there's not enough room for you to contain it. If he intended you to be poor, then he wouldn't have said those things at counter uh, it's just absolutely contrary to everything that Jesus has ever said, right back to the law of first mention, where he said, go and be prosperous, multiply, have influence, and subdue the earth. Poverty is not from God, and he broke it on the cross. If he wants us to be poor, then friend, I invite you, go and sell your house, give all the money away, everything that you have, go find yourself a piece of concrete on Queen Street, get a piece of chalk and draw out a square and live in that. And whatever you do, don't, don't go for help for medical procedures or food. Just scrounge around in the rubbish bin trying to find scraps of food because that's what poor is. Poor is not having anywhere to live and not having any food and not having any medical. That's what poor is. And if it's God's will for us to be poor, then we should do it with all of our might and become the poorest, pe- poorest of poor people on the planet, yes? Some of you look at me like, you're just being silly now, Craig. You're just being silly because we're not talking about being that kind of poor. What we've been told is that we're talking about just having enough. You know, just having enough to get by moderately. Just... Just having enough. Just having enough. Can I ask you some questions if that's your thinking? How much is just enough to get by on? How much is enough to get by on? And for who to get by on? Come on. For who to get by on? You? Or someone in Somalia? Like what is, what is enough? What is it? And then here's some more questions. Well, but what about others? What about the homeless? What about the hungry? What about the person robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road? What about them? How will you be able to help them if you only just have enough to actually live a life that says, I just want enough to get by is an incredibly selfish mindset. Because Jesus didn't do enough on the cross just for your sin. He also healed your diseases. He broke the power of poverty. He broke the power of the devil. He broke the power of the world. And most importantly, he broke the power of yourself so that you could be free. How is living with just enough to get by and is, how is that okay? How is that all right? Because When we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 35, the story of the Good Samaritan, it says that Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the 
other side because he didn't want to go past him. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side of the road, so here's this guy beaten, naked, left for dead, and they're walking down the, they're walking down the road and they see him and so they cross over the road to avoid the man that's dying. Really? Remember he said a priest and a Levite. He's talking about Christians. But a Samaritan. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were considered the lowest of lows. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I've never had that before. Next time I scrape my knee, I'm going to get a bit of wine and pour it on there, see if that helps. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which in today's money is about 500 New Zealand dollars, and gave it to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So you have to understand something here. The Samaritans were considered the lowest of lows. They had all the minimum pay jobs. They had the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. Minimum wage. The jobs that no one else wanted to do. He didn't have a lot of money. But he comes upon this man who's been beaten and stripped and robbed and left to die. And he pulls out $500, gives it to the innkeeper and says, here's a deposit for you to look after him. I'll be back in a few days and I'll fix up whatever else it costs. And so Jesus is saying here, I want you to hear this this morning, is saying here that a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus, is someone who pays the price for the healing of people who are wounded And we're not talking about spiritual healing. He's saying, hey, let me tell you a story. I'm going to show you that someone that has my heart, someone who's a true follower of Jesus, will pay the price so that the broken and the wounded can be healed. In the book of James, in chapter 2, the scriptures say that, that it's religious to talk Religious talk is futile, doesn't accomplish anything. Real religion is when we physically help people. And however, I want you to understand that this is possible, this is impossible, if we don't have the means to do it. So let me, let me just clarify something that I've been saying. If God wants us to be poor, or if God just wants us enough to get by, how are we going to pay for the healing of those that need to be healed. Do you know that social welfare was actually the responsibility of the church in history, not the government? The church did social welfare. The church provided the hospitals and the schools and the medical clinics. It was the church that did it. So if God wants you to be poor, and if being poor is spiritual, then why does he share this story about what it is to be a real Christian, a real follower of Jesus? 
God's will is that we would have an abundance, have an absolute abundance in our lives. Why? So that we can assist others, so that we can help others. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 11, it says, God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist put, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy and reckless abandon. Don't you love that? Isn't that awesome? Hello? Some of you are alive this morning. It says that when God sees the poor and the needy, he gives with reckless abandon. He doesn't put any restrictions on it. doesn't put any limits on it. He doesn't say, I want to see your financials and make sure that you're doing right by the money you got so far. No, he just gives with reckless abandon to those that are in need. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can, you can then give away which grows into fully formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Another version puts it this way, that God gives you so much that you have enough left over. After you've got the nice house and the nice car and all the things that, that you would really like, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but what God is saying is that His plan, when He died on the cross and He broke the curse of poverty and released the prosperous spirit upon people that follow Him, was that so you don't just have enough for the nice house and the nice car and the holidays, but you have enough left over to give to every good thing that comes upon your path and not just $20 or $30 but with reckless abandon that you can give to the Cancer Society, give to the Crippled Children's Association, give to the kids that are selling chocolates in the foyer, whatever it is that you have more than enough for you and so much left over that you can just bless people to your left and bless people to your right and in front of you and behind you and that that would bring great praise not to us but to Him. So how has Paul been spiritual? And if you are in a, in a poor situation, you don't have a lot of money, you need to believe you need to search the Scriptures and say, okay, God, if abundance is your plan, you've got to show me because I don't know how to get there. And He'll give you principles, things that you can do that will get you to a place. See, the will of God is that we enjoy an abundance not just on payday and not just when that tax return comes in. Ours is already spent on braces. And I get any parent out there that's just feeling me right now. They say, you need a life of abundance, you know that? Because they say in studies that it costs you about a million dollars per child to raise them. You'd all be multi-millionaires if you didn't have kids. <laughs> flipping children. Hey? Ruin everything, don't they? I wouldn't have to save up for three or four years to take Trinity to Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary, I'd just be able to go and do it. We never felt like it if it wasn't for my children. <laughs> the only hope we have, parents, is to live long enough to become a problem to them. <laughs> Revenge. 
God's will is not that you're just enjoying abundance on payday or your tax returns or, or when you get a bonus or an inheritance comes in. God's will is that we would live in abundance all day, every day, for our whole lives. For our whole lives. See, God desires that we enjoy complete sufficiency in all things so that we have everything we could ever need, so much so that there is not one area of your life which is not, which is insufficient. And so he wants to bless you abundantly, but we have to understand it's just, it's more than that. It's more than just blessing you abundance. The abundance is decreed for our lives so that we can engage in every good work. I don't know about you, but you probably do this too. And if you don't, and you think I'm just ungodly for doing this, then you can forgive me because Jesus does too, but when that Powerball gets up to $20 million, I start to think of all the things I could do with that. Who else does that? I'm like, mum and dad's mortgage, paid. Trinity's parents' mortgage, paid. If my parents and her parents went, without thinking about themselves properly, they'd pray that we would win. <laughs> and they'd buy us the tickets because I refuse to buy them. Knowing that there'll be a reward. Just joking. I think about what we want to do here on the property, and I think, man, if I won that, it should be done tomorrow. I think about Fiji, where I go over there and see these kids living in Lakina, which is the shanty town of Suva, and they're just in corrugated iron homes. And over there, for ten thousand dollars, you can get a house and you can build a house in Fiji that would cost us three hundred thousand to build. How many homes could I build in Lakina with twenty million dollars? What transformation could we bring to a community to to lives? Don't get me wrong; I make sure that there's enough there. So I think about how much I can put aside so the church doesn't have to pay me a salary ever again for my whole entire life. Why? Because we actually love this thing that God has put in us, that we're not just here for ourselves. He didn't come on the cross for his sake. He died on the cross for our sake. And he broke poverty so that you could not just live for your sake, but so that you could live for others' sake. I think about the solo mums in our church, and I think how cool would it be to just go and buy them a house and give it to them? But you know what? Here's the thing. If God is a God of abundance, and if God is a God that says that you'll have enough left over to give to every good work, then surely it's our duty to pursue the God of the abundance and find out how do we get this flowing in our lives so that we can help others. Because this is what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be so prosperous that we're able to give to all of the needs of those around us, whether it be our neighbours, whether it be our community, whatever it is, that we would have so much in abundance that we'd be able to look after everybody. And as cool an idea as that is, it never would be possible if it wasn't for the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just take away your sin but he broke poverty's curse 
so that you and I can live in abundance. As I read at the start, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and I want you to get this into your head, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Is anybody here this morning that's like, man, I think I'm ready to receive that kind of a scripture into my life? No? I'm the only, oh, it's three or four of us, the rest of you? No? Does anybody here want to have the abundance of God financially coming into their lives? Okay, for those that don't, we'll have your share. I'm cool with that. If you are currently in a financial difficulty, I want you to understand something, that God broke the curse of that. That if you are reach out, cry out to him, talk to us, search the scriptures, he'll give you principles for scripture of what you can do with your finances to help to bring about that abundance. Some of the reason why it doesn't happen in some people's lives is because you've got to understand that the kingdom of God operates this way. His thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. See, the world would tell you if you want to get ahead in life, then hold on to everything you got and don't give anything away. But, but the scripture teaches this, there's one who gives generously and yet increases more and there's one that withholds and keeps everything to theirself and it leads to poverty. You see, God doesn't think the way that the world thinks. The Bible says this, that God gives seed to the sower. He's not going to give seed to somebody who hoards it. He's going to give seed to somebody who sows it. Whether that be to buy a chair, whether that be giving in tithes and offerings to the church, or whether that be giving a voucher to pack and save to your neighbor or a solo mum that you know that's struggling, whatever it is, when God gives you seed, he expects it to be sowed. Why? Oh, I can't really do a lot. Then just do what you can. And trust that as you start to do that, as you start to sow, it might just be one orange tree, but that orange tree can produce an orchard of orange trees. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? He has come that you may have abundance so that you have enough for everything you want and so much flowing over that you can take care of the needs of all those around you.